Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam. This is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I'm so excited to be re-releasing an episode that came out a while ago, actually in October of 2021. This is with Andrea Pomeranski. We're putting out this episode for a couple reasons. First of all, frankly... She's amazing. She's an incredible person. The story really resonated when this podcast first came out, and I thought it was time to put it out again, maybe as a re-listen for certain people and maybe for first-timers to to hear her story. It really is truly remarkable. When we put this out, it was after she finished uh, 10th American in the Boston Marathon at age 39, and as you'll hear, she has overcome a lot in her life. And this is someone whose story is is truly, it's it's just truly remarkable, Um, you know, let me just say this, you know, I'll just quote her Instagram story talking about it all the way back then. Every step, every step has felt like, like such a celebration. Eight years ago this week, I had just given birth to two severely premature twins and spent every single day for the next five months in a hospital room for hours on end with both of them and eventually lost both of our sons. 11 years ago this week, doctors told me I would never run another marathon. I mean... That's heartbreaking. And at the same time, Andrea has bounced back from a pain that I could, I can't even imagine bouncing back from uh, to accomplish many things. Not only did she finish uh, 10th at Boston Marathon in 2021, but recently, this is, you know, again, she's still at it. She just won the 50K national title along with setting a new master's record in the 50K. She's still doing amazing things. She's an incredible person. And I wanted to make sure that you heard her story here again for people who hadn't heard it. And also um, people who who had and give another chance to give it a listen. Um, Sorry, I'm like stumbling through this intro. It's just when you read something like that, it, um, it's hard not to get in your own head about how you would feel uh, in in circumstances like that, or even circumstances somewhat close to that. I, I just frankly, I can't even imagine. So um, I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. Before you do, though, I do want to say uh, real quick, also shout out to you can for sponsoring this episode. Uh, they are fantastic. Go to the show notes uh, for the links to you can and the code. Uh, you can save significant cash on some really, really high quality sports nutrition products. In addition to that, I also want to say tonight is Book Club over at Relay. Have you subscribed to Relay yet? If not, give it a shot. Uh, Book Club tonight, boys in the boat. Uh, we're going to be talking at 7 o'clock Eastern Time Live and also going to be putting out the recordings over on Relay as well. This is a Patreon community. It's $9 a month for some really high level stuff. Tonight, uh, you can join the conversation with Lindsay Hine. Carolyn Sue and Kara Gallagher as they talk about Boys in the Boat. We're going to be doing this on a Google Meet that will be recorded. We're using Google Meet so that if you want to join in the conversation, you can do just that. All right, let's get into it with Andrea Pomeranski. All right, I am so excited to be talking to Andrea Pomeranski. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the show today. <laughs> of course, I'm so I'm so uh, honored that you asked me to be on the show. I'm uh, I've been listening to your show for. For a couple of years now, it was the very first running podcast that I started listening to, and I, I honestly never thought I'd, I'd be a guest. So, thank you for inviting me. Wow, that I'm, <laughs> man! The, the twenty five dollars I sent you over Venmo to say that was totally worth. It. <laughs> was so it? I mean, it. I was thinking about asking for thirty five. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm a big. You know, we, we've been you know chatting on and off for a while, and then yeah. you go out and you just bust it at the Boston Marathon. <laughs> 
<laughs> 10th American woman at the, in the race. What an extraordinary feat. And I love reading your race cap, race recap as well. And you're not like super active on social media, but you did post, post yeah. something out there. And, yeah, and it, it was, was an emotional one. So I was like, I got to do something. Of course, yeah. right? How can we not? <laughs> That's for sure, right? <laughs> so yeah. it was exciting to, to, to see. Now, before we get into the race and the years of stuff that kind of preceded it, and this is yeah. certainly an, an awesome, awesome performance. Um, you, you you wrote like hey, this is your first this was your pro- first professional start. So tell us what that means in terms of you being a professional and what that meant from a starting perspective and getting ready for this race. Yeah, so I don't I mean I wouldn't quite call myself a professional but you know the pro start elite start um you know you just get a special oh, start time it takes a certain time to qualify and I just barely got into this one and um so I got to start with I guess uh, quote unquote, the real pros. And it was just such a cool experience. I mean, the treatment that you get and That's it was awesome. just so surreal the whole time. Yeah, it was special. Yeah. All right. So I think I wasn't sure if it was just like, you know, like, all right, you're just something like putting in like pro for elite start. And at first I was like, are we going to break some news here? And really, really <laughs> you got something to say. That'd be interesting. Um, I wish, yeah. No, but I mean, you're a two-time Olympic trials qualifier. So you certainly have proved yourself over a number of years. Cause the first one was in 2012. So we're talking about right. a pretty wide range of times where you've been a, a really good runner. And we'll talk about things that have happened in those interims, but at the same time, so this was your first time being in an elite field, but did you contact them or how does that process even work? Uh, yeah, I did. I contacted them. I ran, uh, three months ago, I ran, um, in, uh, the grandma's marathon. I ran about at two thirty-seven, and I was just curious if it would get me in, you know, to this, uh, special pro slash elite start. So I did contact them and actually it's funny. I actually, uh, signed up for it a uh, month before or tried to months before grandma's, but I didn't get in. My time wasn't fast enough. So I kind of emailed her back and said, Hey, you know, in the event that I'm able to run faster, can I get in? She said, well, sure. And I emailed her right back. Like, I think, you know, the same week of grandma's or something and said, Hey, I'll get right into 247. What does that get me? And she's like, you're in. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. So, yeah. Well, grandma's is a historic race and you, you know, that, so that's, that's awesome in its own right. What about Boston kind of like, what about that race, you know, was, you know, I guess first and foremost in your mind in terms of you wanted that race to be the one that, that you competed in in the fall. Obviously, there are so many choices, you know, from world marathon majors, which are seemingly all happening in the fall, to a lot of smaller races as well. So what about Boston really, really drew you in? Yeah, um, I kind of wanted to do a, like a, a bigger one. So maybe Ch- I was thinking Chicago or Boston. And it, um, we, we can talk about this a little bit later, but there's uh, a very special place in my heart about that specific day, October 11th. Um, you know, I th- in my post, I had mentioned that I had uh, twins born on that day and uh, they were they were premature and they didn't end up making it. So I just saw that, you know, the Boston Marathon had, you know, obviously never been held in the fall before and it happened to be on October 11th. And I thought, well, that's just kind of meant to be, I think, you know, it was a special day and I wanted to kind of do that and kind of in remembrance of them a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And you did mention that and I'd read that elsewhere as well. Um, so I guess I have, I do have a question about that. Uh, and and I, I would love to explore it deeper as well, but when you have, obviously it's, it's an emotional day for you and your family, October 11th. So you have that, you know, as the, the backdrop of it, were you worried at all that, 
I guess the emotions of the moment, in addition to like the, being on the start line of a, of a marathon has its own set of emotions, even in the best of circumstances and in all of that. Did you worry that it would detract from the experience or were you confident that this was going to be something special because of the, the date and the, the things that had preceded it? I, you know, for sure across my mind, it's like, you know, am I going to show up and just be like a complete mass of, you know, emotion? And, um, but I thought, I, what, what the hell, why not? try it and see what happens <laughs> anyway. And, and it, and it, it was, it was both. It, it ended up being both, you know, I, on the bus ride there, you know, as part of this pro start, you know, we get this, um, you know, a special bus and there's motorcycles leading the way for us. And I'm, I think like Desi Linden was two seats up for me. And I'm just, it kind of just like all hit me at once that I'm like, I'm here after everything we had been through years ago on that same day. And I just started crying on the bus, you know, and I'm like texting my mom, like, I just, I can't stop crying. People are probably staring at me. Like, why is she crying? You know, but I was, it was dark and I was trying to do it silently and, and it, but it, in a way it just made it so special, you know, I kind of collected myself and then, um, almost felt a little bit stronger in a way, um, because of that, because I just went into it just so incredibly grateful. So it just, it just made it that much more special. And I think, like I said, in my post, I just could not, I mean, I'm not really much of a smiler during a race. I'm kind of like, more business. And, uh, I just could not wipe the smile off my face. And I was giving people high fives and just looking at the crowd and just was so, just was so incredibly grateful to be there after, you know, what we had been through. So it was special. So what were, I guess, how were you able to collect yourself? I mean, you know, specifically, what were the things that you were doing and, and say, either saying to yourself or the things that you were thinking in order to put yourself in the right frame of mind um, to kind of have to have the performance that you had while still kind of honoring, um, you know, the, the twins and the moment? Sure. Yeah. And I think just just being grateful, you know, just coming at it from a sense of gratefulness instead of despair or emotion about what might've been or what could have been. I think I just, just felt this over, overwhelming sense of gratitude. And that kind of really just made me, instead of being sad or emotional in a sad way, I was emotional in a, um, you know, a kind of a more positive, like happy, lighthearted way. And you said before that you aren't normally the kind of like, you know, slapping no. high five, smiley <laughs> no, type racer. Like, Is that going to use up so, too much energy? I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's your normal race day aura then how would you describe like a, a typical say even grandma's like what, what's that what's that what's that andrea look like yeah well you know i try to stay as relaxed as i can obviously you're going to have some race nerves and i think a little bit of that is good you know make sure that you're prepared and do all the right things leading up to the race but i do i do get a little a little kind of nervous and um my husband would say really nervous but i don't i don't know about that but yeah i do get a little bit nervous but i do try to stay relaxed and kind of joke around with people like on the start line a little bit, just kind of loosen up the, you know, tension. So I, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm uptight, but I definitely am not like, you know, walking around smiling, giving people high fives during the race for sure. So, so you're, you're focused. <laughs> Maybe so. Fo yeah. Focused. Focused. Sure. All right. There you focused. go. So in this case, at what point did you realize that your just your demeanor during the race was maybe a little bit different than maybe your demeanor had been in other points had been in other points um so the, i would say the first couple miles i maybe i was a little more business you know you never know how you're going to feel those first couple miles so i just kept checking in with my body and how i felt and then checking the splits on my watch um just kind of as feedback you know i would kind of assess how i was feeling and then look at my mile split and say okay like i'm feeling pretty good like that didn't feel you know there's races where you go out and you think you're maybe feeling 
you know, like you're pushing hard and you look at your mouse, but you're like, oh my gosh, it's not going to be, it's going to be a tough one today. I'm going to have to grind a little bit. But, um, you know, I was looking at my mouse splits and I felt great. And then I think after the first three or four miles, I really relaxed a little bit because I was feeling so good. And I just remember, you know, there are these little pockets of like crowds at Boston when you go into like the smaller towns or cities. And I just remember, um, there was this bunch of little girls and I just, one of them stuck out their hand and I was like, you know, that could be my little girl. Like, wouldn't she like, that would be so special if like one of the, you know, runners in the front gave her a high five. I'm like, oh, screw it. Like, I'm just going to go for it. So I gave her a high five and she just went like wild, you know, and then all these other little girls were like, oh my God, she gave her a high five. I want a high five too. And I was like, oh, screw it. Like, okay. So I just gave a bunch of them high fives in a row and and just the whole crowd, every time I did it, just went crazy. And the, the fans in Boston are just, it's like, it's like none other. It was so fun and so special. And I almost felt like they genuinely, you know, they could feel how much work that you put into it. And we're just so excited for you to be there and to run well. So it was, I think that's what makes Boston special. For sure. And, and as someone yeah. who kind of got into the elite field, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. like kind of not by the skin of your teeth, but like kind of, yeah. you know, at first you weren't allowed in and then you were allowed in, right? So you kind yeah. of had this feeling yeah. of like, okay, I'm in with this amazing group of athletes, right? And they almost didn't let me into this. So when you're thinking about your race plan and the paces either you want to run or how you want to fit in the field or some sort of combination of both, what were some of the things that you were considering for your race strategy and certain things that you were really trying to either hammer home or disregard in relation to either pacing or the competitiveness within the field? Uh, I think I really just, um, you know, tried to just kind of run my own race and not get caught up. And, you know, at the end of the day, you just, you do what you can do. And, you know, my coach and I talked about really going out conservative, conservatively, not getting caught up and, you know, going out fast because it's the Boston marathon or something like that, but just really, you know, like you start out conservative you feel good, you know, keep going faster. And I think just really staying within myself and just doing what I do every single day in practice, you know, it's not any different. It's just, I do this in practice. I go out and do it in the race and just, um, I think just staying with myself and and running my own race. Right. And then you got like the, you got the downhill start, you're yeah. a world marathon major, you're in the elite <laughs> field, which is exciting. Right? It would be yeah. super easy for that first 10 K to really go maybe a little bit two percent over right Right. what maybe you 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 should have done in in retrospect and it's so easy in the moment to be like i don't know maybe today's maybe today's the day maybe today's the day downhill yeah (laughs) or like maybe it's like hey i'm running i'm running normal not normal but like i'm running the effort level i want but i'm all by myself for three miles of the race like what's going on here should i speed up and and, and things like that i can imagine it being uh potentially a sticky situation uh, yeah. And I guess, you know, maybe, I don't know if I want to say luck, but I just, you know, like I said, I was kind of checking my splits every mile to make sure I wasn't going too fast. I know it's downhill. And I was like, you're going to pay for it later. Don't do it. You know, it's going <laughs> to. That's great. Yeah. All right. So what were, what was the race plan early in the race and from a splits perspective? Yeah, well, it's a little tricky because it is downhill. So maybe, you know, I, I thought, you know, my coach and I thought we were capable, I was capable of running in the low, um, five fifties, you know, and even averaging that the whole time. So, and we even thought like I could have gone out faster than that because it is downhill. So I just tried to kind of get in a groove and I really checked in with my body and how I was feeling. And I kept consistently hitting low five fifties. I knew it was downhill. I thought, okay, this is a great spot. You know, I'm not 
going out too fast and just like stay here and then see where we can go, you know, at the half, see if I'm still feeling good. Gotcha. All right. That makes a lot of sense. And I know some people try to take advantage of the downhill, like, all right, I'm going to cruise here. Yeah. And then, you know, then see what happens to other people like, all right, like, I don't, I don't have to like burn too many matches here. Let's just, if I cruise this and kind of go a little bit more low key, you know, some of the, the glycogen I'm going to need later, yep. I'm not using yep. up so early in the race. For sure. And we talked about that too. It was like, just, you know, use it, but don't, don't hold back and don't try to go too fast. Just kind of use it and just relax. And yeah. So you hit the halfway point, right? So you mm-hmm. said that was like the next kind of line of demarcation in terms of, right. How am I feeling? Right. As you're getting up, as you're coming up to that point, what was your internal dialogue and how did you feel? Oh my God. I felt incredible. It was, it was probably the best I felt in any marathon I've ever done, probably all the way through 15. Wow. I just felt, um, it, it's, it's not like it felt easy, but I didn't feel, I just felt natural. I didn't feel like I was really pressing and I felt great. You know, I was smiling. The crowd support was incredible. And then about 15, you know, the Hills are obviously they get you, you've been go kind of going downhill the whole time. And then you're, you're forced to you know, switch gears and it's, it's going to hurt, but I think it hurt a little bit more for me. I kind of had some digestive problems too, for the first, I've never had this happen to me before. Um, so I had I actually had to stop, go to the bathroom twice, oh, <laughs> my goodness. the the marathon, which is a first. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is a Boston marathon. What's going on. But yeah. So I think the combination of the Hills and just not really sure, you know, I'd never stopped during a marathon before. I'm not really, really sure what that was going to look like. And if I was going to be able to pick it back up and go again. So I mean, I didn't know, you know, sometimes when you stop, it's like game over. So it is. And sometimes, yeah. and sometimes I'm not saying it's a performance advantage, but there are other times where it can reset you, right? How many times you've been on a run For where you're like, sure. you stopped yeah. and you're like, but usually it's a bad run. You'll stop on good, yeah. days, right? So like, it's a bad <laughs> run. And you're like, all right, just pause. Yeah. You like, take you a couple breaths. You, you get going. Yeah, it's like, sure. oh, wow. Like, all right, this yeah. is, remarkable um yeah we had alexis mccoy on the podcast uh last week and we we put out that episode and uh she she ran a pr of 313 but she had like some major digestive issues and said a pr instead of pr yeah harvey nelson on the men's side got fifth american and he had digestive issues (laughs) right around the mile 15 mile 15 kind of the same the the same area again you get the the whole like what if like oh if i didn't have this what could have happened you know right and yet, obviously, it was still a fantastic day. So coming out of that, those experiences where you're like, you've, you're unsure, not only of like, is this going to affect me, my my rhythm, but like, you don't know you're only going to have two bathroom stops, right? Like, right. like this it's like, oh, question mark uh, over yeah. the whole experience. <laughs> so how did you re-engage with the momentum and the just the aura of the moment that allowed you to really kind of keep to keep it going on, on what turned out to be a very special day? Well, I think I just, you know, you just focus on what, what you can control. I mean, you don't know, but I just tried to think of the positives. Like you said, it's like, okay, like I I stopped, but now I feel, you know, I started, started back running. It's like, okay, now I feel a little fresher. Like, let's go, let's hit the, let's hit the gas a little bit. And there was a little bit of that, you know, I was kind of getting tired. Those hills are tough. And then, you know, I stopped and then I got going again and it was a little bit of a fresh, like, okay, like, let's go, let's go pick off some people. And those hills are, you know, known throughout the running world. <laughs> at the same time, if you just look at the elevation profile, they're not that intimidating. It's more of like when in the race it happens. Right. Where right? they're placed. Yeah. Right. Like if it was if those hills had happened mile six, you'd be like, we can get through this. Whatever. Right. Yep. And yet, but yeah, this is more like, all right, this is for a lot of people when the glycogen stores start to wane, 
their legs are getting heavy all of a sudden it's like oh goodness gracious yeah. and you're not right at the here? end too like you have you know it's it's such a um tough location or spot for those hills because you still have quite a few miles to go still it's not like you're right at the end so you're tired you're like oh i still have you know however many miles left and i think the other thing is you're just forced to switch gears you know it's downhill 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 and all of a sudden it's like boom up you know so to really switch gears is is not easy Hey, everybody, are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? It's time to try UCAN. If you are, even if you aren't, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I'm such a big UCAN fan because UCAN utilizes steady-release carbs instead of sugar so you don't feel the highs and the lows in your energy. I have noticed this really, like, you know, for me, I love to use, take two scoops of UCAN before my long runs. One scoop if it's like a kind of a medium long run. Uh, also, I love the Edge Energy Gels as well. For me, I just don't have to worry about nutrition on the run. And it's just, it's so nice to not have to worry about this sort of thing. You know, it's like some crazy, you know, especially if you're going through some some crazy stressful times, just knock one thing off the list of things you don't have to worry about certainly is helpful. And it's not just amateurs like me, top marathon runners in the U.S. like Emily Sisson, Sarah Hall, Emma Bates, Meb Kofleski, and now Kira D'Amato all rely on UCAN to fuel their training and their recovery. UCAN's award-winning edge energy gels last longer than other gels, and it provides a more consistent feeling of energy. They aren't too thick or sweet and don't have to chase them down with water. Uh, for me, I love them because they're more like they're more liquidy than other gels. You just don't have that aftertaste as well, which is really, really nice. And finally, you got to try the bars. The bars are unbelievable. They're like chocolate. You get the chocolate peanut butter. Frankly, they just taste like candy bars. They're fantastic, especially if you're going like on an early morning run. Like you wake up, you want to have something and you want to hit the hit the road. I That's the spot for me with those things. And, um, you know. Unless I want to just use them for snacks because they're just so darn tasty. I mean, really, they just taste like candy bars. And they're absolutely fantastic. You can try the full variety of UCAN products at UCAN.co. That's U-C-A-N, UCAN.co. And you can save 20% on your entire order by using code RAMBLING. Not only do you save 20%, but it also helps out the podcast. So go to UCAN.co today and use code RAMBLING to save 20% on your offer. So did you do anything in training to... Um, get you ready for that point in the race? Uh, yeah, I tried to run a lot of hills. Um, there's a hill by my house, you know, that's kind of long and sloping. And on my easier days, I would just go and kind of just repeat, repeat. And then on my long runs, I do a lot of times uh, I would do faster miles at the end. But before that, I would try to go and just kind of run up that hill back and forth and then really hit it the hard miles hard after that. So Okay. So yeah, so really trying to mimic the race course in a way to, mm-hmm. it, especially in your long run, it's like, all right, 75% of the way through the long run, have some hillies, hilly moments, um, which I guess in a way can often mimic exactly what you're going to see on race day. When you're going through that, are you aware of how you're running compared to your competitors or do you, and at that point, do you even care where you are? <laughs> yeah, you know, I love this sport because it really is just a battle against yourself a lot of times. Um, and that's how I try to, I try to treat it. I run, you know, 99.9% of my runs are by myself anyway. And I ended up being by myself the maybe after mile two and on. Um, so I was definitely aware of where people were and I picked off a couple people but I, you know, again, I really was just trying to focus on, you know, running my own race. Now, I mean, I would have liked to have connected with a group, but it just didn't play out that way for me. It was kind of, um, it was either, they were either way far up or a little bit behind me. 
Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because you're all of a sudden, you, it seems like a weird dichotomy of like, there's like, from a competitor standpoint, you're alone. Right. But from a like, you know, if like Google Maps perspective, you're in the middle of a huge group, right? There's a lot <laughs> right. of people around. Right. Yeah. So what was that dichotomy like of like, again, you're, you're alone as a competitor, but there are thousands of people around you seemingly at all times. Oh, it was, it was cool. I mean, just the crowd support at Boston is is just spectacular. It was so much fun. And I think it maybe it, it felt like a little bit more like they were cheering for me because I was alone. I mean, I know they cheer for everybody, but it was like, oh, you know, they're alone and they were all cheering for me when I came through. So it was cool. Now, is that the most, I guess, um, from a fan, from a fan support perspective, was that the best um, arena that you've ever been in? Obviously, arena is in quotes uh, here, but is, is that the best experience that you've had? Uh, I mean, you know, the trials, how can you, the trials was un, unbelievable. I'd never um, experienced anything like that. You know, the, just the support. I mean, it was, and it part of it was because it was a loop course too. So yeah. there were, the crowds were five and six deep and just going wild the whole time. Um, that was special. Uh, I, my very first marathon was the New York city marathon and, you know, it's the New York city marathon. That was special too. But Boston, I don't know. It was something about the way that you almost could like feel their support and how excited they were for you to be there, which is a little bit different. Um, so they're all, all, all very surreal and wonderful experiences, but yeah. So talk to me about the final 10 K, right? So you get over, you, you get through the Hills, you know, the roughly four miles or so of the race course that, that are hilly. And you said, let me four and a half, five. And then you, you get the final 10 K and obviously that's always going to be, especially if you, no matter how fast you are, <laughs> it's going to be a painful experience. If you're it really no matter it. what, if you're doing right? it right, you know, and I just kept trying to tell myself that it's like, okay, I'm hurting, but like, you know, that means you're doing it right. That's where you're supposed to be. And you just have to keep going it does help too. once you get through the hills it is a little bit of downhill so I kept trying to play that up in my head like okay it's like downhill to the finish just you gotta you know you gotta just think of how you're gonna feel afterwards it's the last 10k so <laughs> so were you looking at your watch during that or was there a point in the race where just the watch didn't matter because it was either it was the hills or because you were so close to the finish it was just all about effort like at what point did the watch become irrelevant from a pace perspective um, maybe after my second bathroom break. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, I'd always check it every mile just as feedback. You know, obviously the hills, it's going to be a little off because you're going uphill. I mean, there was one mile that was, I don't know, in the six twenties. And I just thought, okay, you just, it's uphill. You know, I stopped for a minute. It just, it is what it is, but definitely the last four or five miles, just to check in and see where you're at, you know, you're in pain, but if you can still run a decent, you know, mile, even though you're in pain, you know, you're going to be fine to the finish. So I wasn't, you know, tying my emotions to it, I guess, but definitely looking at it. Now, in those final miles, obviously the crowds are going completely nuts at that <laughs> point. The closer you get to downtown Boston, sure. were you in a position where you were also potentially, you know, hunting some people in front of you and trying to reel people in? Yeah. Um, the last couple miles, you know, for a couple miles there, it was when I was having those digestive issues. It was tough. And then once I kind of realized that I, I was fine. Um, I was, I picked, um, I picked a girl off and I was, I feel like I was really gaining some ground. I was a group in front of me that had passed me earlier when I had to stop and I, I, I was catching up with them, but I just kind of ran, ran out of real estate at the end there. They were too far up, but yeah, I was aware of where they were at. I love this, the competitive nature of this, not only someone <laughs> who you're, you're, you're 
a high level runner again we mentioned like you're qualified the olympics trials twice right like you're you're doing awesome things but you're also coming from a community and a family that's also like all about this stuff right like your brother's a professional you know in professional baseball and is a pitcher your husband is an you know high level hockey player mm-hmm. what what was this like as someone who has who's grown up and you know gotten older in a you know competitive not situation, but around competitive people in athletics, is this just kind of like what you guys end up living for and discuss? Or what, what what's the familial connection <laughs> to these kinds of experiences? Because you grew up and again now live in a situation that is probably foreign to a lot of people in regards to the um you know maximizing athletic potential and competing at a high level against other elite performers. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it just comes kind of innately because that's how I grew up. You know, I was always, I have two older brothers and a younger brother. And, you know, we were constantly going from one sporting event to another. Um, They played baseball. So I was always at baseball games. And then I would hear my, you know, my dad talking with them about, you know, how they could improve or what they could do. And then, um, yeah, I mean, we were always just doing sports. And I just, I love it so much because you, you learn so much about, life and how to be a better person and how to, you know, navigate tough situations. It's through sports. I mean, there's no other arena where you find that, that, you know, you can learn so much and grow so much as a person where it's not, you know, there's nothing on the line. Right. Because it's all relative and internal. Right. That's like exactly the, the right. On the yeah. line part. I mean, that is completely subjective. Obviously, there are there's ways for things to be objectively on the line. Lord knows. Right. But, you know, <laughs> there's so many of us can, can can live in this world where, hey, you know, like my livelihood doesn't depend on this result. But I'm going to I'm going to, you know, race as if it does. And then I might emotionally feel like it has, you know, after right. that. Right. It's just it's such good practice for life. You know, just you get better. You learn about yourself. You learn about other people. You know, you learn to push yourself. And then when life situations happen to you, it's like, okay, like I've done this before. I can I can do this. You know, you just find like a sense of strength within yourself. I think that it's really hard to find, um, you know, in in other areas. All right. So, you know, going back, this is this is not like you've been at this level your whole life, right? So you obviously came from a competitive family and you obviously have certain genetics that help you along the way and you've worked incredibly hard to maximize whatever physical gifts that you had (laughs) and maybe even, you know, develop things that weren't physical gifts for you. But 10 years ago, and I'd love to hear more about this, you know, you you thought the running or were told that running might be over for you. Yeah, um, yeah. And actually, it was the second time I had stopped after college, I had stopped, you know, for a couple years and um, started running again. You know, I was following my husband played semi pro hockey, and I started following him around playing hockey, I wasn't really running got really out of shape. And, um, you know, we got engaged. And I was like, you know, I gained like 40 pounds. And I was like, I have to I can't show up at my wedding, you know, I was a all American in college. So what started out as kind of vanity, you know, I just wanted to look good in my wedding dress ended up really uh, just sparking that passion again for running in it. And so I started running again a couple years after college competitively. Uh, and with each marathon, it kind of like my desire and my um, passion for the sport just kept growing and growing. And after I think it maybe two years, um, I was in the middle of the Chicago marathon and I was having some rib pain and, and I just I wasn't able to breathe as well. And I thought, okay, like something's going on here. I got it. Let me, you know, I, I can't finish this. I'm, I'm in a lot of pain. And I ended up going to the doctor. I just figured I, you know, maybe I bruised 
bruised a rib, you know, I let it heal and maybe try to pop in another marathon. And, uh, the doctor ended up giving me a call a couple of days later and said, you know, you have osteoporosis. We need to get you to a specialist. So I ended up going to a specialist and he can said, we, can we pause there? When yeah. they said you like, what a, like, that must've been like the weirdest phone call for you. It'd be like, yeah. I have a bruised rib or whatever. Like to hear you've osteoporosis. And we all know, like, I think we all have certain um, indications of what that means. Right. We think of like, right. Right, who has osteoporosis? If you had like a police lineup, you'd be like <laughs> the old bitty over there. As osteoporosis, not like <laughs> right. the not like the the college all American runner who's still like in her mid twenties, right? Like you would never you would never think that. So what was that like for you to hear that news? Yeah, you know it was heavy. I just it was like what you know I I was almost a little bit in shock, you, you know, and especially when I went to the specialist. I think what was even worse was, you know, he just looked at me, he sat me down, and he said, "Look, you know, you're." You, you, you'll probably run a couple miles, but he was like, you know, marathoning's over for you. And he's like, you know, you, you maybe eventually can run three or four miles at a time, but, but that's probably it. And I just kind of looked at him like, wait, what? Like I had him say it. I think I remember I had him say it like a couple of times. Cause I almost like just didn't believe what he was saying. And he just, you know, he said, you really, you're young enough where you can turn this around, but you know, you've got to start taking care of yourself and eating dairy at every meal and build back up the bone density that you can. And at that point, uh, I kind of just took to maybe getting my body healthy, like I um, had taken to running. So, you know, I became, I became passionate about, you know, reading everything that I could and finding everything I could about osteoporosis. I read a lot of books, I watched a lot of documentaries. And I just thought, okay, I'm gonna focus my efforts on getting my body to be the healthiest that it can be. And I actually ended up after that, it was kind of funny. He sat me down and said, you know, you start, you need to eat dairy at every meal and stop running. And I actually, at the time, a couple of weeks after that, um, we ended up going predominantly vegan because of these things that I had read. And <laughs> wouldn't you <laughs> eat know? Eat dairy at every meal. Eat dairy every you meal. Know, you know, curveball. Like, okay, nope. You know, I'm going to go vegan. Sorry, doc. <laughs> I'm going to go vegan. So I ended up doing that. And a year later, I went back to get a bone density scan. And, uh, my, uh, my bone density had, had dramatically improved almost to the point where they had questioned if I had been misdiagnosed in the first place, because it had improved, improved so much wow. during that year. Um, so yeah. And I had been, I've been eating that way ever since. And my, every time I go back, my bone density is, um, better and better. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. So that doc got it quite wrong. Yeah. In retrospect, well, again, I'm sure he, I, I'm sure that yeah. doctor tried his best. Him or her worked really hard and got all yeah. the degrees and all of that. But to say you've osteoporosis, you're not going to do any more marathons, and you need to eat dairy. It's like, no, I'm going to go vegan, and I'm going to qualify for the Olympic trials and get tenth American <laughs> woman at age 39 at Boston Marathon. Yeah. Well, now this was 10, 10, 11 years ago too when this happened. So, and I, I like legitimately thought I was done running and I was fine with that. I thought, okay, you know, it was hard. It wasn't easy, but I, I was at peace with it. And I thought, okay, what, like, what's my biggest goal in life? You know, I want to have a family and, you know, running is important to me, but I, I want a family. So I just kind of set my sights on that. And, and we ended up, um, you know, getting pregnant. We had a set of twins. We ended up, you know, as I mentioned, we ended up losing that set of twins. And then um, a year later, we got pregnant with twins again. 
and, you know, have beautiful, healthy two girls. And then a year after that, uh, got pregnant with uh, my son. So now we have three, three beautiful children and, you know, just funny how everything just comes full circle. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that, and that is absolutely just fantastic news and, and certainly a wonderful thing, um, to have the, the family that you have, that is for sure. And when you, um, I just want to go back to the osteoporosis thing for one, because it's just, it's just not diagnosis that people that normally get. Right. So right. I guess to, to just touch on this, like one more time is were you given any indication what could have caused this from the start? Yeah. And I think there, there's a lot more um, people talk about it more now. It was a, a, a bit of, you know, the female athlete triad. I, I was, mm-hmm you know, I had gotten to the point where I was very thin. Um, and I lost my cycle for a quite a long time. I just wasn't smart about it. I didn't think about it. I thought, okay, I'm training really hard. And, you know, I was eating a lot, but you know, I was also running hundred mile weeks and it just was not enough to fuel everything in my body. Um, and that's one thing that I'm really diligent about now is making sure, you know, I am getting enough in, to, to stay healthy. And that was exactly why you know, because it is a shocker. Nobody in their twenties, especially a marathoner, someone healthy, um, should really have osteoporosis, but that was, you know, what had caused it. Well, thank you for opening up about that. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to j- j- delicately get to, get to that <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, t- we've had some people on the show who've talked openly about this before. And Tina Muir has sure. written a book about amenorrhea and has come on the show and talked about it and, and right. come to the, the, the rambling runner summit and done the same thing. And, and, uh, it really is important for people to know that even if you don't have an eating disorder, that something like this can come up and it still has to be something that you need to be aware of. Yeah. Even if you're, well, and that's important too. If you're not, even if you're not intentionally, you know, you don't have an eating disorder, you're not intentionally trying to lose weight. I just was under fueling. Um, and even though I th- saw it as, Hey, like I can go out to dinner and I can eat as much as my, you know, 200 pound hockey player husband. I, sometimes I would eat more than him. So I thought there's nothing like I'm fine. Everything's fine. And, you know, you just really need to be cognizant of, you know, fueling your body with, you know, obviously the right kinds of foods, but enough food, you know, cause you, you're burning a lot. You're asking a lot of your body when you train for a marathon. So let's talk about when you went vegan, because <laughs> obviously there's a lot of ways to have extremely healthy vegan diets. And then there yes. are, um, we don't need to get into the, the complete nuts and bolts of this. Sure. It, yeah. That would be a separate podcast and would take 90 minutes in its own yep. way. Mm-hmm. But I think the one the one of the nice things about eating, you know, meat, you know, either whether it's meat, dairy, things like that, is that it can be calorically pretty dense. Whereas there's, you know, there's certain ways and certain ways to have a vegan diet, which you just need to have a lot more to kind of get the calorie bucket as full, not all the time, but I think that's one of the things that people worry about. So would you mind talking about that a little bit? Um, yeah, no, not at all. I, I just, yeah, I just think you just need to be smart about eating a lot. You know, I eat a lot of uh, my, the volume of foods that I eat is a lot, you know, and I, and I'm not shy about, you know, healthy fats, like pouring, you know, a lot of olive oil on my salad or, um, I, you, I eat tempeh a lot, you know, and if you look at it, it's, it's decent in calories. It's very similar to me. So mm-hmm. I think just being smart about the types of, you know, protein sources, making sure that they're similar to me because you can find them. And especially nowadays, it's so easy to go out and find right. alternatives. It's 10 years ago. It was not that easy. Um, it is easier now, but you just, you know, a higher volume, I eat more frequent meals and I'm not shy about adding fats, you know, coconut oil, olive oil, peanut butter, all that kind of stuff. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we can all we can all agree that peanut butter is the best, right? I feel yeah. so bad for the people who have the nut allergies, right? I just want the peanut butter on the counter, lid oh, open, spoon. Just, in. Oh yeah, yeah, and you can just you know <laughs> just keep the spoon in the jar. Sometimes I right. also I shouldn't I shouldn't admit this, but I do I do have quite the uh, gummy bear habit too, so that helps me add some calories. I like candy, so <laughs> I don't know everything in moderation right you gotta have is there a huge difference between gummy bears and gatorade energy blocks i mean let's be not is there there a huge difference none yeah it's kind of funny i'll buy like the um organic gummy bears and i'm like this is kind of like an oxymoron like organic gummy bear you know what's the come on <laughs> i was like it's still gummy bear <laughs> organic gummy bear i love that right it's like yeah, it's like it makes me feel a little bit better about myself i'm like oh it's fine it's organic I'm just, i love i, lo- I do handful. like the labels though right because there's, and there's <laughs> other things that like they're like all right i know this isn't healthy but we're going to put a label on here this is a complete non-sequitur just to make it sound like it's healthy right like like products yeah. will be like this whatever is you want to tell yourself it's fine. right it's like this product's gluten-free you're like oh sure like, it's worse there was no question version. about that like of course uh, yeah. it's gluten-free oh, right. it's water like i didn't <laughs> yeah. have any questions about the gluten yeah. content of this a, water bottle right or something free like kale that. there you go yeah <laughs> right yeah right right like a low saturated fat it's like i was yeah. not worried about that with this product what is what is this labeling nonsense um right. but yeah i mean definitely everything's you know now there's nothing off limits um you know if i want something i'll i'll eat it so definitely. gotcha so you finished the race what is this finish line feeling like and how does it compare to other races that you've had? Cause you've been in a lot of awesome races. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't, I don't tend to race too, too often. You know, it's, it, it was three little kids. I don't want to be gone every weekend. Um, but God, you know, it's the Boston marathon. I mean, you're coming down Boylston street and there's every couple feet, you know, someone standing there next to a bike It's just, there's, it was, it was something It was very special. So yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. So when you finish up and you, you know, you're able to like, you know, have that downtime after the race, start to collect yourself a little bit. What was your immediate reaction to how your run went? And then what was your reaction once you realized where you felt, where you fell amongst your competitors? Um, you know, I, I try not to compare, um, compare myself too much because you can't really control what anybody else does. And you don't know who's in the race either. I mean, it could be stacked. So, you know, maybe one year you'd finish second, one year you'd finish 10th and you have the same exact performance. So I try not to get honestly too caught up. I mean, obviously to say that you're the 10th American as as a 39 year old in the Boston marathon, that's so cool. It's like, you know, but at at the same time, you know, I'd be lying. And at the end of the day, you just want to get the most out of yourself. And I, I feel like I'm pretty good at almost always doing that. You know, I don't have much left at the end of races and I just more than anything, I just want to know that I gave, I gave it everything, you know, however, I'd, I'd be lying if I said, I thought I was capable of running faster, even at the Boston marathon. I really did. I thought, especially the way I felt through 15 miles, I just, I just thought it was going to play out a little bit differently. I thought I could have maybe run a two thirty four. Um, but you know, I mean, it's a little warm. I don't think that affected me too much. Um, but there was a little, I wouldn't say disappointment. I would just say kind of a little, you know, the like ugh, feeling, I just, I thought it was gonna, I, I thought it was gonna do a little bit better, but I mean, how can you be upset with that? I had a PR at the Boston marathon and was a 10th American. I mean, I mean that's, come on. You're right. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I love how, I love how you talk about how like the, like where you fall in the field 
is irrelevant compared to did you maximize your performance on that day and in your fitness? And it's interesting because there's so many people who have these moments where they're, and again, these people at all levels and friends of mine and even me, I'm guilty of this as well, (laughs) that my recollections of the race or my perceptions of how I did can be colored by after the fact seeing oh man, I was 30 seconds away from that level or right. oh, man, like I didn't, I thought I could do this after the fact, right? They're, they're completely, they're not connected at all to, all right, when it, things got tough, did I back down or did I push? Right. Yeah. Like, the, the actual questions of how did the race go? Right. When it really got hard, how did you handle it? And when are you happy with those decisions that you made? And it's, it's interesting because so many of us can go back a day later and be like, oh man, I was like, you know, again, like I was so close to qualifying for New York. Oh, yeah. what a bummer. Like, and then and then there's negativity attached to a result where right. when they crossed the finish line, maybe there wasn't any. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to look back on that and say, but, you know, you do the best you can in every given moment, right? It's, it's easy to look back on your result and say, oh, like, I, you know, I had another 10 seconds or I could have passed that person. But I mean, the reality is, you know, when you're in the, when you're at mile 24 and you're in a whole lot of pain, you know, you just. <laughs> Let's talk about. Your, 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 what you do at home and what you are striving to do as a runner, right? Because you have, there's plenty of choices and we all have them in terms of we're living these busy lives. We've got these young kids who need constant attention and, and sometimes even more than we're, we have time to give or sometimes we're willing to give because we have other things going on that also need our attention to say nothing of the things that we want to do in our own lives. So you have you know, these big, you know, you've done the awesome things from a running perspective and you mm-hmm. have all the, all the stuff going on at home. What, how are you able to, I guess, fixate on certain goals or challenges or activities and do such a good job of going after them when you also have these obligations and, and, uh, and, you know, these little youngsters at home who are running around and, you know, always eating bottles open or, you know, the 10,000 snacks per day that they want to eat 10, and all 000, this other stuff that we all 10, have to deal with. 10,000 snacks is such a, yeah, it's, it's hard, <laughs> but I think, you know, and, and I'm probably not the first person to say this running, just, it allows me to have some, some space and like, you know, take a breath from all of that. And obviously, you know, my family is always going to be number one. Um, but it, it's a lot sometimes and it's overwhelming and it's running is, is such a good complement to, um, you know, to being a mom, because it, it just, it gives you kind of like this outlet to kind of, you know, take an hour or sometimes to, you know, to yourself and just listen to music or podcasts or nothing at all. And just kind of have a break from it. And I always come back better. You know, I'm, I'm more refreshed. I have you know, a, a little more clarity. And I think, um, they really complement each other because, you know, kids as as you know, you know, you have two little kids, it's not easy and it can be overwhelming at times. Yeah. I mean, that, that is tough. And, and one thing that you've done that is the decision that obviously that you have made, and I wanted to explore this for a second is that you obviously are going at some of your running goals, full throttle, right? There's no way else someone gets the kind of success that you've had over the last few years in the marathon, if they're not really putting just so much of themselves into this endeavor. So why, what is the driver for you as opposed to being like, no, I just want to be a three hour, three hour, 15 type marathoner. And I'm still going to go for my runs. I'm not going to like run any less times per week, maybe, but maybe I'm just going to run less. I'm not going to 
some of these workouts and, you know, so it's still going to be a big part of your life. And a three hour to three fifteen marathoner is a really accomplished runner. So what makes you go, no, I'm going to want, I want you to sell <laughs> versus I just want to be a part of it. Uh, you know, it didn't happen overnight. In fact, um, I kind of swore, like I never, uh, you know, I, I just had no desire for a really long time to ever be competitive again. And I think, you know, I did, um, what got me back into it. My son, um, was fine. He was a good sleeper until he wasn't. And then, you know, he was waking up every hour or two, um, in the middle of the night and I was just exhausted. And once we finally sleep trained him and he was sleeping the night after three days, uh, I just had so much energy that I looked at my husband and I was like, let's, you know, let's sign up for an Ironman. And so we did. <laughs> so we signed up for an Ironman. We did a half. Were you sleep deprived to- when you made this decision? <laughs> Who comes up three days of not sleeping? It's like, you know what? We need an extreme, <laughs> extreme adventure right now. <laughs> I don't know. I just had so much energy, you know, and I was like, oh, what's on my bucket list? Ironman. Okay, let's go for it. So, um, I, I, and I didn't think I was going to be competitive in it. I just wanted to do it just to check that mark off the bucket list. And I ended up finishing it. And kind of after I ran the marathon, you know, it's at the very end and your legs are toast by that point. And I just thought, you know, like I can go faster. I just want to see what I can do a standalone marathon. So I'm just going to do one standalone marathon and that's going to be it. And then I'm going to go back to running a couple of days a week, pushing the dragon stroller, you know, and uh, I did the marathon and I, I think, you know, after really maybe six weeks of doing workouts and I did pretty well. And I thought, gosh, you know, I just, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to get into the Boston marathon. And at that time, you know, it was full and until the, in the next, the following year. And I ended up, and this is how like far out of the running world that I was at the time I had, I was kind of doing, you know, research online to see what races were out there. And I, this is gosh, probably the fall before the Olympic trials. And I didn't even know, that that was an Olympic trials year. So I was like, Oh, the the Olympic trials are this year in February. How cool. And then I saw that there was like one, you know, you could qualify up until January to get into the trials. And I was like, there is no way, there's no way that I could possibly qualify for the trials at this point. You know, this was in the fall. I'd run a two fifty one, I think. And I thought, but you know, like maybe I'll just go do it just to see what happens. And I ended up, you know, the very last day that you could qualify, um, qualifying for the Olympic trials. And I think it just snowballed from there and really, you know, running in the trials and that kind of atmosphere just sparked this fire in me that I honestly did not know was there. I didn't see this coming. It's like, you know, I thought I was just going to do one more and then stop. And then after the trials, it was like, this is so much fun. I love it. And I really just love, it's not about the times for me or the places in a certain marathon. I just, I really just want to see what I can do. It's fun. I like pushing myself. I like seeing what I can get out of myself. And, and, and I'm, you know, I'm being really honest with when I say that, you know, that's so interesting. It it reminds me of a lot of these, especially trail runners who were like, I didn't even know I was good. I'm just out there <laughs> running into trails. Like pace doesn't mean anything. Look at your watch time. Like who cares? Like you're running 12 minute miles because it's over technical terrain. Like right. I don't know if that's good. I'm just running. Right. And then they go and they go run in a race. They're like, wow. God, podium. What is this? Yeah. Right. And then, but it's interesting because, like, obviously, you came from this background of like of elite athletics and things like that. So, it is interesting how, like, you were able to almost like, obviously, not not by choice necessarily from an athletic perspective, but you almost had like a beginner's mind in a sense as this oh, new for approach. Sure. 
you yeah. know, it's so interesting to, to hear that you didn't even, you weren't even aware of like what the trials were or when they were. I, I someone who already it, qualified for the trials eight years earlier. Right. I mean, it had been a decade off and I, you know, I was so busy with my kids at that point. You know, I mean, I had, I think when they qualified, I don't know, three kids, four and under. And I just, I didn't have time to look at all that stuff. And, you know, I just, it was funny. I was like, oh, it's the trials though. There's no way I can't do it. And one of my friends kind of encouraged me. I was talking to her about it and she just said, there's not a doubt in my mind you could. And I was like, you're crazy. You know, she was like, just try it, see what happens. And I did. And it, it, you know, was, and I, I realized how much that I loved it, just the whole process of it. So do you have goals now or is it you or do you have just races and challenges that you want to be a part of um yeah um for sure i mean i you always have goals yeah and i think especially with boston i thought i was capable of running faster and i i'd like to run in the low 230s i think i'm capable of that i think my training indicated that you know i was capable of that going into boston even um so i i'd like to to do that for sure especially as i'm entering you know i hate to say masters runner it feels so weird that i'm actually saying that you know, master's runner, but I, you know, I'm less than a year away from that. So shoot. And is a master's runner. She ran 225. Right. Oh my gosh. She's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, and then Don, Mc, Don McMahon had a great race as well. Oh, she's 44 for sure. and, and yeah. she's, she's kicking some serious button and so many other people as well. I'm, I, so many other people. I shouldn't people. have started naming yeah. names. I'm going to feel bad. That I didn't name other names. But. I know I can name some too, but it's incredible. I mean, and there's so many women out there uh, right now in their forties, just crushing it. So yeah, it'd be pretty cool to see what I can do. It's interesting to see because that part of, you know, there, there are certain, there are certain kinds of athletic endeavors where the aging process matters more than other endeavors, right? right. And yep. endurance running, whether it's the marathon or ultra marathon and things like that, it's been proven that age decline isn't a huge factor from a year to year perspective. It just mm -hmm. isn't. And, mm -hmm. you know, especially if you can combine that with ability to, you know, handle fatigue better then the age decline doesn't matter at all. That's exactly right. Yep. So anyway, Andrea, <laughs> besides all your kids' nonsense, what's next on, what's next on the athletic calendar that you are <laughs> excited for or going to pursue or considering? Um, you know, I, I'll, pro I'll put a race on over the winter, um, probably just because it, it just helps you kind of get through. You know, I live in Michigan, so it's, it, winters are tough, and it kind of helps you get through get out the door in those snowy, cold, cold days. So I'll put something on calendar, just trying to decide now what to do. And, and also just taking a, a little bit of a break, trying to enjoy, you know, my family. <clears throat> and, uh, but I'll put something, put something on a calendar in the winter and then maybe do some shorter stuff this spring and then another marathon in the fall. Oh, you upper Midwest runners, you're so hardcore. You got like the icicles hanging off the eyelashes when you come in from the runs. It's really no, no, I'm the opposite. I, I'm I like go straight to the treadmill. I'm oh, like, is I'm that right? Old. Maybe in my younger <laughs> days now, I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm not. This is fun for this is supposed to be fun. Like, I'm not getting out there in ice covered roads. No way. I'm just giving me my nice, comfy treadmill, put on like a some good music. I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah, the ice roads. That's that's a whole another. Yeah, I yeah, know, but like, I'm, I'm like, not near. <laughs> not I can, nearly I can, I can I handle cold be. weather. Ice roads, no, just <laughs> no. It's not happening. Yeah, it's surprising though. If you dress warm, it's it, it. You know, unless it's below, you know, about ten. And if you dress pretty warm, it's not too bad. Oh no, I completely agree. I completely agree. And then there's again, besides the first mile, there aren't a lot of weather 
there's not a lot of temperatures that can really like make the run bad. The first mile, you got to get warm. You almost want to do like it's tough exercises in your gear. Inside first mile, so you're tough. sweating before you get yeah, out. There. I always overdo it, and I just kind of like shed layers as I'm running. I'm like, oh, this is too much. <laughs> too much. But that first mile is rough. <laughs> yeah, for sure, Andrea. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure to finally have you on. And, and oh, what, what amazing circumstances as well. Yeah. So again, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you as well. It's just, it's such an honor. Like I said, and I've been listening to your show for a while and I just hope that, you know, it, you're listening to your show has helped me so much in my own journey and provided me with so much inspiration that, you know, I just hope it can provide someone the same. What an awesome thing to say. And it's so interesting because you can, I just about to, I was just about to wrap up the podcast. Here I am asking another question, <laughs> but you're faster than just about anyone who comes on the show. So it's interesting for me to hear someone at your level drawing inspiration from people who look at you and do the same thing. Oh my gosh, of course. And and all the time. And just because you run a certain time doesn't mean that you're more inspiring than someone else. I get inspired all the time by other people and even runners that, you know, I coach a few people and uh, one of the athletes that a couple of the athletes that I coach ran really well in Chicago and pushed through that heat. And they were an inspiration to me. I was like, okay, if they can run in this heat, then, you know, I can push myself too, but that's what it's all about. Oh, you are awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Andrea, thanks again for coming on the show. Also, big shout out to YouCan for sponsoring this episode. You can save 20% at youcan.co by using code rambling. It's a great gift. It's, it's just, it's a great code for some really high level stuff. I love the gels. I love the powders, the energy powder, and the the bars. Oh my gosh, the bars. That's <laughs> just so good. Also, if you haven't done so, check out Relay. Some of the best content, best running related content for sure on the internet. Also, a chance to just communicate and uh, commune with some unbelievable people. People like Kara Goucher, Carolyn Sue, and Lindsay Hyde, who will be doing book club tonight. Just go over to patreon.com forward slash relay today to check it out. Thank you so much for listening and happy running.